Today, I want to talk about attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which can start in childhood, and that's what I want to talk about today, but it's also a lifelong condition, so it's not something that you grow out of. We often used to look at kids who were had ADHD, and we just thought that they were rowdy, they were undisciplined, they were, you know, they acted out in school, they just didn't want to pay attention. But we now recognize, as we learn more about the disorder, roughly 5%, even as high as 9% of Canadian students are living with ADHD at some, to, to some degree. Erin Clayton is with Pastone Mental Health, and Pastone has counselors in schools across Niagara to help kids with ADHD. Hi, Erin. Thanks for coming on the show today to talk to me about uh, ADHD. My first question is, what is the definition of ADHD? We used to call it ADD, and then it was ADD, ADHD. And now, from what I understand, we're sort of sticking with ADHD. What are the symptoms, and how do you recognize that in a child? Good morning, Janice. Uh, Yes, so there's been a shift in the diagnostic criteria. So for many, many years, it was an attention deficit disorder. So that's the ADD. And now, more commonly, it's ADHD, so attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And so how we in the field, and I guess how every, the everyday person can understand it is that as we grow knowledge about um, symptoms, then the diagnostic criteria changes, and then sometimes the labels change. So we have um, manuals and reference points that we use it as kind of a reference point, whether you're a medical doctor, psychologist, therapist in the field. So kind of stereotypically people would experience or think, well, ADD or ADHD is a child who can't sit still, which is true, but it's a a vast generalization. So really what it is, it's people who, individuals who struggle with executive functions. So planning, starting tasks, finishing tasks, attending to tasks, looking at fine details or getting fixated in fine details. It can be Um, You can look for fidgetiness or or sometimes people describe themselves like they feel like a motor's attached to them, that they're kind of constantly buzzing around. Um, But it can also populate in interpersonal problems. So you will see children with externalizing behavior. So it's that child that maybe is disruptive in class if they're in school or throwing things or, you know, really big emotions that has tantrums or externalizing behavior. So there's as ever, and I'm sure you've heard this in many of your conversations, um, one diagnosis doesn't look like just one thing. There's a a spectrum as ever with ADHD as there is with ASD, so autism spectrum disorder, or as obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety. So, and in different environments, people can look different ways and at different ages, people can look different ways. But foundationally, it's someone who has trouble planning, focusing, finishing, attending to detail, tuning out information, or hyper-focusing and tuning way too into information. Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of hyper-focusing. But of course, kids used to just be, you know, they're bad. Like Mm -hmm. you said, right? They act out. They can't be bothered. They don't want to learn. It's their parents' fault. The parents aren't disciplining them properly. And they, Mm -hmm. you know, they're getting expelled from class. So uh, Mm -hmm. the thinking over, over the years and, and, ADHD is not new. Um, 
uh, it's, you know, it's, I, I, you know, I remember, um, I think when, when my nieces and nephews were, so they're in their thirties now. Um, so in the eighties, uh, mm-hmm. there was a lot of talk then it sort of was coming out then like, Oh, there might be this thing called ADD and, and they're not just acting out. They're having trouble concentrating. Um, let's give them some medication. I think we have some medication we could give them. And then on the other side was, why are we medicating all our kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, they're just, they're just, you know, a little disruptive. Why are you giving them pills? Uh-huh. Is the thinking has the thinking changed? And I'm saying this is about 30 years ago, so so I'm, I'm guessing that the thinking has has changed. I would definitely say there's a few things. So um, definitely, when there's medication involved, people can have very profound responses. They're either very eager to access it, or they don't. They're very um, resistant or reticent to to use it, and especially for for different ages, the brain is still developing. So that's what we have to remember. But, you know, definitely with some um, symptoms and some diagnostic issues, it's biochemical. So you can only get so far. So going back to that stereotypical bad kid, if we want to prescribe to that, there might be something happening that's not helping them focus. That's not helping them concentrate. That's not helping. And, and you could try lots of strategies, but it's, it's in their biology. So that medication can just get that little oomph that gets them in a place where they're ready to accept it. But I think definitely, I mean, I've been in the field for 27 years and we've thought about things many, many different ways. And so I've heard, you know, why are we seeing all these kids with, with these diagnoses now? We didn't see this back in my day, you know, parents are saying that. And the first thing I would say is it's knowledge. We didn't know. Right. So as we research, as we understand, as we learn, going back to even the change from ADD to ADHD, why has that changed? Because we've learned. We've learned about the disorder. We've learned about the criteria. We've learned about how different people are contending. So we've learned. So that's added knowledge and that's through uh, research. And that has expanded testing, accessibility. And the bigger thing in working in children's mental health is stigma. We've put so much energy across the mental health field for people to recognize mental health as a health issue, that we can't compartmentalize ourselves from our mental health, from our physical health. And that it's been for many, many years, quite unfortunately, socially unacceptable to be really transparent and accepting and open about if you're a parent having a child that potentially needs some assistance, because there's a lot associated for parents when they see their child struggling and then potentially see that it's a diagnosable issue for children and youth and individuals themselves. They can feel many emotions with getting a diagnosis. And and there's been a lot of shame. There's been a lot of shame. There's been a lot of barriers. And I think as stigma has really been in the forefront, what we've also seen is resources, that this could help, that we're not labeling a person, we're identifying what you're struggling with. And if we can know what you're struggling with, we can maybe put things in that are going to help versus fixing. So, yeah. Yeah. And kids can be um, kind of mean at school. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe not so much when they're young and, and, but when they get into the like higher levels and grades of M- elementary school, of course, in high school, um, uh, I'm there and I'm experiencing some level of ADHD. Janice is stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, which would make it, 
like, like maybe exacerbated because now you're, you know, your, your focus is going onto this other level. How do teachers or parents uh, recognize that something is happening? Because you, so if you're on the low scale end of the scale, um, maybe I should ask you that first, what is the scale? Like what's the low end and what's the high end? Um, well, definitely it can be, you know, teachers or parents can be in tune to, you know, not being able to get your morning chores done without a lot of reminders, right? Um, you know, kids who can't, you know, pack their lunch independently, they need those step by steps, but, you know, or when someone says clean your room, they go into the room, but they're kind of lost, right? They just end up sitting on the bed with all the clothes around them that can be an indicator that, that this child is not able to plan out all those steps because those are skills. And if you're able to do that, sometimes we take for granted that those skills are transferable, that all people know how to do things the way we're doing them. In a class, I've not, I'm not, I've worked in enough schools, but it can be the child whose homework is really messy. It's not complete, their desk is messy. You know, they're always missing something. They're behind the class or, you know, penmanship is, is not um, working. The, the kind of mid-range can be, you know, missing more. School avoidance, we could start to see. We could start to see refusal and behavior at home. We could see the same at school. And those things, if kind of gone unaddressed or supported, will end up in those big explosive things. So back to your point about... I'm in class, I feel like I can't, I'm not learning, everybody else around me seems to get it. I'm embarrassed, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna flip my desk over because I'm embarrassed, right? I'm gonna escape, I can't do it. Or it can be an internalized response. I'm gonna shut down. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to talk to her because I feel stupid. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Um, or I'm always bad, I'm always in trouble. So. The, the, the highest end of the spectrum can be that explosivity, that externalizing behavior, but it can also be as equally internalizing behavior, self-hatred, self-loathing, um, real brushes to esteem, confidence. Those Which is things. a very so bad place to be. Well, it's harder because people, you know, when, when we're seeing people coming into therapy at any age, it's generally because something, they say something needs to change. And generally it's a behavioral thing that they recognize, right? Um, internalizers, you don't know, you're only guessing. And it can lead to um, very destructive behavior internally. And it can create these really, really entrenched um, internal monologues about value, worth, self that can take a long time to correct if that person's open to correcting them. And it's yeah. lifelong, right? It doesn't, it's, it's not that you age out in grade six or, you know, somewhere between grade six and graduation, you're going to age out of this. And yeah. um, so I'm not going to go into to detail about adults, uh, but I know enough adults. I've, I've got um, some ADHD and it causes great difficult for me at work. And it was years before I I understood mm -hmm. that my mine is a uh, related to bipolar disorder, but mm -hmm. um, 
I've since started to meet more adults who are able to talk about the fact that they are not able to focus on work properly. Their, you know, mm-hmm. their mind wanders, but it's so much easier for an adult to say, okay, this is happening to me and this is how I'm going to correct it because we develop coping skills. All we have to do is remember to use those coping skills, right? You develop coping skills. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I think you begin to have some greater ability to be introspective. So when you're 5, 10, 12, 16, 18, you know, those life phases are very different. Your brain is different. The way you're managing is different. The way you're looking at yourself is different than when you're 25, 35, 45. Um, And a lot of adults, I think dynamically, just as an anecdote, there are a lot of adult onset diagnoses of ADHD because they, if you circle back, it again, wasn't well-known and these symptoms were potentially, you know, definitely present, but weren't really maybe as open to, to diagnoses. But yeah, kids, kids really struggle. They're developing their sense of their self. So um, as an adult, one would hope that that's pretty intact. So you can go inward and say, you know, I'm finding myself unable to finish this work task, or it's really hard for me each morning to wake up or every day I get here, I forget my lunch and right. And you have different faculties, different capabilities, different things available to you when you're six, nine, 12, 16, it's a totally different landscape. You, you don't have that, that level of insight. You are comparing yourself to peers because that's how we start to grow and develop our senses of ourselves. Um, looking at our family members, if you have siblings and you're the only one who's struggling like this, I feel different, right? So again, going back to those internal messages and and that level of acceptance, whether it's in an environment is critical. So as we've learned just in terms of the pandemic, um, you know, some, you know, going to and from school, some children and youth have thrived, but some have really struggled because the structure of school is structured. I have to be there at a certain time. I know that the bus comes or the bell rings and I have to sit to, to have kids try to, some kids try to do this on their own. It's a Herculean task to think they have to now get themselves up and create a space in their home that they don't think is a learning environment to now learn and to get on a um, Zoom call or Google Meet and and focus on the work and make sure you have paper and pencils and a place to work and and come back and forth and attend to a screen. It's it's very well. Very it's hard. so it's so hard for kids who um, who aren't experienced ADHD or have not been diagnosed with ADHD. The last two years academically, from one perspective, because some kids adapted, as you said, some kids adapted very well to virtual mm-hmm. learning. And there were mm-hmm. kids as, you know, we're going on and off and they said, okay, well, you don't have to come back to in class. You can sign up for virtual. And there were a lot of kids who felt that they were learning better at home than at mm-hmm. school. But at the same time, their emotional, um, social skills were not improving because they weren't in that. And especially, again, if we go to sort of grade seven and up where you're learning how to identify better behavior, you're learning how to understand how to interact with mm-hmm. students, parents, and you're learning about, you know, hey, I like this girl. 
or, you know, all yeah. of these things that, that kids are missing. Yeah. Um, and I would think that again, if you put ADHD in kind any mix of growing up, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, for sure. Was it? So I guess how many kids w- with ADHD that you know of that um, that the counselors from from Pathstone are working with, how many kids went back to school each time we've well, had in person or were they learning, OK, I can deal with this at home? Um, well, I wouldn't have an exact number, but I think percentage wise. It's probably. See, it's interesting because you do raise a good point. Some kids would think, well, this is better, but are they, are they just avoiding the other pressures, right? The social pressures, the, um, I think by and large, we would see 70% of students have returned back to in-person learning for multiple reasons across diagnostic profiles. Definitely, um, and I think to your point about the in and out of school, and contextually, like if we think about it, a, a student right now that's in grade eight, the last kind of typical interaction of school they had was in grade five. That's three learning years. And if you think about the growth of a child from grade five to grade eight, it's it's massive. It's like a quantum leap, right? And so for all the reasons you're talking about, social interactions, exploration of self, um, if there starts to be interest in relationships other than just collegial peer-to-peer, even the curriculum changes, right? And so there's all these things that um, some kids with ADHD would hope to miss because they they want them, but they're hard, right? Going back to that interpersonal side, that social skill side of the diagnosis, those things can be really profound. So they could say, well, this is better for me. I'm gonna, because they figured out how to learn online, perhaps or it's somehow more tolerable. It doesn't, because better is relative, right? It's all about that person's perception of what's better, but is it in their interest to not be flexing these muscles? Maybe not, right? So it also goes to the heart of schools. Schools are hubs. So we're very fortunate at Pathstone to work with our schools because they do have these interconnections. Of, and that's why we have therapists and counselors that, that work very collaboratively because, you know, while schools can do some things, they can't do some of the things that we can do. And that's where we come together. But there are, you know, there's the social commerce, there's the attending and going, there's the learning, but there's, you know, learning is one function of the school, I would say, the, 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 the way that people learn. So I think a high percentage returned there are still some, yeah, I think that definitely feel like this is more achievable. They enjoy it. They're happy. Um, I think, again, it's, it's personal preference and interest, but I think the word better is, is subjective and kind of a yeah, yeah, town yeah. To, to be in. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But I, I'm thinking that uh, that growth that you would experience at school, again, if we use that example, say grade seven to grade nine mm-hmm. or 10, that growth is easier for someone to adapt to than a person, uh, a student with ADHD who is 
I guess, really on much more of a difficult learning curve. Is that safe to say? A, diffi a more difficult learning curve in terms of how to interact in the class, how to interact with friends. And are you finding that there's going to be or that there is now increased work with the kids that you that you're working with or more kids or you're finding more kids that you can say, hey, Janice isn't adapting very well. And this now we're starting to see this kind of behavior. Maybe we should look and see if there's an underlying, um, you know, yeah, issue. I, I think collectively, Janice, we're seeing, you know, all people who we're all experiencing the pandemic and we've been asked to do it for a long time. And so for some people that though these switches were were easier than others and they're more resilient. But I would say, you know, we've always seen people across the spectrum. We've certainly seen children and youth across the spectrum. Um, and I do think whether or not you had the innate capabilities, people's resilience is, is they're fatiguing, right? And so I think definitely um, people who youth and children that we're seeing that contend with ADHD are having different problems with those shifts and then coming back and meeting at different spaces. Again, going back to, well, I was maybe last here the way I understood it in grade five, and now I'm in grade eight, this is different. And also there's an inherent uncertainty. We're not, we're not done, right? So there's this constant uncertainty that we're all living with and children and youth are living with. So whether it's going back to school or playing with my friends or can I have my birthday, you know, there's this level of uncertainty that I think at Pastone, we're trying to help um, individuals just aside from diagnostic profile cope and regulate because this is the world we're living. In. I think we're prepping and trying to always be forward thinking, knowing that we're going to meet and we are meeting um, children and youth and families with different needs based on the experience of the pandemic. And that definitely in terms of social functioning, there's going to be reparation needed and what will that look like? There's definitely going to be, you know, skills training needed and supported and what will that look like and how would we do that? Because we are seeing kids with varying diagnosis and varying ways that they cope or not. And, and we're really having to be quite um, flexible in how we're prepared to be able to be a supportive entity because that's what we see our role is. That's our job in the community our, our aspiration is to ensure that Niagara is a healthy community and we feel ourselves positioned specifically in how we achieve. So we're um, always working with our partners. We're always trying to be engaged too with our clients to be open to tell us, do we have the services that everyone needs? You know, are we helping you in the way that you need? So it's, it is complicated. Erin, thanks so much for coming on and talking to me about this today. Um, I think that whether you have children or not, everybody is, the focus is becoming so much on what's happening to our kids because, you know, we've got Generation C happening now and we have no idea what this means going forward. So, so thanks for talking to me about ADHD today. I, I, uh, a lot of people, there's a lot of kids out there, but there's a lot of people who are confused uh, about what that means. And so thank you for giving us a little context. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.